Well, good morning once again. Before we open God's word together, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity once again to open your word. And once again, we acknowledge our dependence upon you through your Holy Spirit to give us the understanding and then bring the application to each one of us individually. So, Father, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been going through the book of Ephesians and uh, starting right off from Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. These are the verses we've been focusing on. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We started two weeks ago, and we saw that the book of Ephesians is really a letter, and it's a letter written to a specific group of people called the saints who lived in Ephesus. And uh, we focused uh, two weeks ago on really our identity, recognizing, celebrating, rejoicing in our sainthood. That through faith in Christ, positionally, we are saints. Positionally, we are justified. We have peace with God. God is pleased with us. And and so we are saints, right? And the Apostle Paul was writing to the saints in Ephesus. And he was specifically writing to them to really lay out some doctrinal foundations in the first portion of the book that we're going to see. And then the second half is really practical applications. What does it mean to be a saint and to live saintly, right? And that's really uh, the core and, and one of the wonderful applications about the book of Ephesians as a whole is it, it really is a call to saints to be saintly. And how do we do that? And then last week, we we looked at the sender of the letter, right? So the recipients are saints, but the sender, the writer of the letter, is the Apostle Paul. And we looked at the importance and the significance, for instance, when you and I get mail at home and, and uh, you know, you look at it and you see the uh, return address. And, and depending on who it's from, uh, you may or may not want to look at it just right then, right? Some of it you open right away. Some of it is to uh, look at later. And then other time uh, pieces of mail are simply, you know, shredded or, or torn up or whatever. Uh, and oftentimes it's just simply based on uh, who it's from. Well, this letter, the, the letter to the Ephesians or the book of Ephesians is, is from Paul. And Ephesians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. What is an apostle, right? Because he says, Paul, an apostle. Well, the word apostle, uh, really in the simplest form, says one who is sent out. One sent forth by another, often with a special commission to represent another and to accomplish his work. So Paul is one who has been sent out by God, right? There's a second usage in the New Testament of the word apostle, and it really refers to to really us, right? All believers in one sense uh, 
are sent out to be messengers or ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't call ourselves apostles, you know, we're saints, we're new creations, we're the church, right? But in, in many ways, we, we have the same mission, right, of being sent out. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? So, so we have a mission. We are commissioned to go out. We are being sent out into the world to make disciples, to make disciples, to be salt and light. And, and the application for us even today, even this week, in our community, in whatever community uh, you are in, is to be an ambassador, to be salt, to be light, right? On behalf of the Lord. So in one sense, we're all apostles. In one sense, we're all sent. And, and so... I encourage you, I encourage us as believers, as the church, uh, as many of us have been making preparations for our own uh, well-being, not to forget that this is an opportunity for us as the church to be sent out. Maybe not anything really big. Maybe it's just phone calls. Maybe it's just texting somebody. Maybe it's just... uh, going out of your way to help a neighbor with something, right? There's a tremendous sense of community right now as uh, we're all sort of drawing together. It reminds me of when the Thomas fire came through and, and Ojai sort of bonded together. There's that same sense that I get when I've been to Vons and, and other areas in the city. And, and this is an opportunity for the church to simply be the church, right? Just be the church. And I encourage you to do that. And and I was thinking about the book of Ephesians and as we move forward, and, and, and sometimes we're like, well, you know, why is it so significant that Paul wrote this, right? And, and the title of the sermon is Paul Who, right? Why does it carry some extra weight maybe that this is Paul who wrote the, the letter? And if I was a saint in Ephesus, what would it really mean to me uh, if, if they said, hey, this is from Paul, this is from Paul, right? And, and a couple things just come to mind this morning. And if you know the history of Paul, Paul at one time was named Saul, right? And in Philippians, uh, he tells a little bit about his upbringing. This is what Paul says about himself in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul very smart, very committed, very zealous, right? He was up there. He was in the upper echelon 
of doing everything he needed to do, right? Someone look at him and say, that is a successful man, right? Many probably even aspired to be like Paul, right? And, and, and you know the story, he ended up being a persecutor of the church, of followers of Jesus. In fact, in Acts 9, it says this, verses 1 and 2. It says, but Saul, right? Remember, Saul was Paul, right? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, right? The way is a reference to the early believers, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So it's a, it's a very uh, famous passage, Acts 9. It's called the Damascus Road, right? So Saul, the persecutor of the church, is on his way, right, to go persecute uh, more followers of the way. And a miraculous event happens in the life of Saul where he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, Right in Acts 9, verses 3 through 6, it says this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He has a supernatural encounter with Jesus, with Jesus. And in fact, he finds out in that moment that rather than being on the side of Jesus by persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting Jesus. And he gets called out by Jesus, right? You're persecuting me, Jesus says. And then later in the chapter, Acts 9, 15, says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Jesus is speaking to Ananias, right? And Ananias uh, is a little bit concerned, a little bit sketchy about going to meet with Saul, right? Uh, Paul. And then uh, the Lord says to him, Hey, it's okay. Go. For Saul, who's going to become Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Right? So we learn that this persecutor of the church, Saul, is now given a specific mission by the Lord himself, right? To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, right? So Saul has this incredible, incredible conversion experience with Jesus, and then he's given an incredible calling, an incredible mission to take the gospel out, right, to the Gentiles. It says to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, right? And in fact, in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul, now Paul, says this. I once thought these things were valuable, the thing, all of his pedigree and all of his uh, achievements, right? He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Just a powerful, powerful personal testimony of how radically Paul's heart, Paul's mind, Paul's value, his whole worldview has been changed, and all he wants to do is know Jesus, is know Jesus. And that's encouraging to me as we launch into the book of Ephesians, as we recognize that Paul, the apostle, is the writer, because there was a time in my life, and maybe a time in your life, where I thought I had it all together. I thought I knew it. I thought, you know, this was the world according to me, and this is how it works, right? And, and maybe I was even on God's side and, and doing everything that was pleasing him. And then like Paul, like Saul, there was a moment in my life where I met Jesus. And quite frankly, I found out that a lot, a lot of what I thought I knew a lot of what I thought was right. I thought of uh, a lot of what I thought the way things are or should be, according to me, was completely wrong. And it was humbling. And there was this process where, where I just was sort of just stunned. And I had to take time to reconfigure and say, okay, Lord, wow. Wow. I was way off. I was so prideful, I was so arrogant, I, I was so self-reliant, I was so, so much leaning on my trophies and my accolades and all the, the things on my resume and transcript. I thought I had it all together, and, and yet, like Saul, I realized I was wrong. I was wrong, and I had to really just kind of wipe the slate clean and start from scratch as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, through his word, studying his word, meditating on his word, praying, and being in fellowship in the church, Bible study, serving, just relearn, relearn so much of what I thought the world was about and, and, and really humbled, humbled to recognize that, quite honestly, I was wrong. And so I, I appreciate and I look forward to, and that's why I love Paul's writings, because I kind of get him and, and I, he, I hear his heart of humility. He's teachable, right? He, he thought he was all that. He met Jesus and recognized, no, I'm not. I've got to start over. Lord Jesus, teach me. Teach me. And so... One of the reasons I really encourage you, encourage us as we go through the book of Ephesians is to recognize that Paul, Paul's just like you and I. Maybe in some ways you think you got it all together, you have it wired, and, and maybe like Paul, you just need to say, Lord, teach me. I'm wrong. 
I thought I was right. I thought I was on track, but I recognize now I'm just wrong. So I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to humble myself. All I want to do is know you, Jesus. All I want to do is know you. And and then another reason I'm really encouraged to go through the book of Ephesians written by Paul is that Paul is, is very honest in his writings about the struggles he has faced, the challenges, the trials he has faced as a believer, as he has gone about fulfilling his commission given to him by Jesus, it's been tough. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 25 through 28, this is what he says. This is what Paul says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked long, hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. You know what encourages me? Even as we go through uh, everything that's happening globally and all the way down into the city of Ojai or whatever city uh, you may be living in, is Paul is writing this as someone who gets trials and tribulations. In fact, the things that he just listed are far greater than many of us will ever, ever face. And so I'm encouraged because he's writing the book of Ephesians. He's writing to saints, not with a finger wagging, but as someone who knows how tough it is, as someone who has compassion, as someone who is lovingly saying as a shepherd, hey, this is how you live a saintly life. There's a familiar passage in Philippians 4. He writes this. How I praise, Philippians 4, 10 through 14. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. That verse, Philippians 4.13, right? Very familiar verses, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's a very familiar verse, and yet often, often it is used and taken out of context, right? Because in the context Uh, of Philippians 4, verses 10 to 14, the Apostle Paul is saying that he can do everything through Christ who gives me strength related specifically to contentment. Contentment. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So the context of being able to do everything through Christ, 
who gives me strength is contentment, is contentment, right? And that's really important, I believe, for us today in what we're going through as a country, right, as we work through uh, the stay-at-home order and all the, uh, the different hardships that that's bringing on to a lot of people. Contentment. Contentment, right? One writer says this, Contentment is one of those concepts that is easier to define than to experience. This is probably because the tendency is to seek contentment in possessions rather than in a person. We assume that contentment comes from having things, but it is, but it is possible to have deep contentment without things. So, we often, so often we think contentment would be ours if we were promoted to the next higher position or if we were able to buy that object we think we need so much or if we could be accepted in a certain circle of friends. But as we advance in these areas, we discover that contentment is elusive because we are seeking it in the wrong places and in the wrong way. Contentment does not depend on what we have. It depends on who we are. It is a spiritual attainment, not something that results from purchasing power. As someone has said, Contentment is a state of heart rather than a statement of account. 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, right? So the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 is teaching us that contentment, even today, contentment comes from who you are in Christ Contentment comes from the attitude and perspective of a saint, of your identity in Christ. Contentment comes from knowing who your heavenly Father is and all that you have in Christ, all the resources, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the church family, right? It's a a matter of heart. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of attitude that all goes into the biblical definition of contentment. And he says, you know what, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, I can do all things. I can be content. I can have joy. I can have peace through Christ who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. And I think about that today for us and the application, right? So many people's lives are being turned upside down. There's so much fear and anxiety out there. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, as saints, Paul is encouraging us, hey, saints, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And what he's talking about is through Christ, you can have contentment because contentment is not, is not dependent on circumstance. Just like we saw last week that peace is not dependent on circumstance. Contentment is not dependent on circumstance. Contentment is dependent on Christ. Contentment comes from you resting in who you are in Christ. One person says this, only genuine believers can be truly, fully content 
For in the final analysis, contentment is not a natural attainment, but a supernatural gift from our Heavenly Father to His children. To say it another way, a believer's degree of contentment in this world is a reflection of their degree of contentment regarding the world to come. The more the invisible, eternal things above grip our heart, the less will be the power of the visible, temporal things of the world to cause us discontent. You remember at the beginning of the year, we talked about seeking and setting our minds on things above? Well, that's so appropriate for us today. As we work through stay-home orders and all the different things that, that have really disrupted our normal, natural flow and routine, keep your heart and mind set on seeking things above, right? Stephen Cole, Pastor Stephen Cole says this. So what does contentment mean? It is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. It means having our focus on the kingdom of God and serving him, not on the love of money and things. If God grants us material comforts, we can thankfully enjoy them, knowing that it all comes from his loving hand. But also, we seek to use it for his purpose by being generous. If he takes our riches, our joy remains steady because we are fixed on him. Contentment also means not being battered around by difficult circumstances or people and not being wrongly seduced by prosperity because our life is centered on a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens to us or what others do to us, we have the steady assurance that the Lord is for us and he will not forsake us. Amen? He is for us, and he will not forsake us. I love Hebrews 4.14 that brings us even to Jesus, understanding. Jesus understanding what I'm going through. Jesus understanding what you're going through today and in these times, right? Hebrews 4.14 to 16 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for for the entire church. That we would come to the throne of our gracious God. And when we do, we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. So a couple questions of application before we close. Where have you been looking for your contentment? Where has your focus been this past week? Have you been seeking and setting your mind and your heart on things above? Right? The Apostle Paul says that he learned. 
the secret of contentment. The Apostle Paul learned through the trials and tribulations of his life, he learned to get to the place of absolute dependence on Christ who strengthens him. It was a learning process. And so my encouragement to you is learn through this. Learn what God wants to teach you about contentment, about peace, about relying on him. Learn what God wants to teach you, maybe about things you thought you were so right about, but maybe you're not so right about. It's okay. It's part of sanctification. Be humble. Be teachable. Learn all that God wants you to learn through this. Because the crazy thing, the great thing is, as you learn those lessons, you're going to go around, and now you're going to be able to teach others what you have learned, right? What you have learned. And one wonderful application for all of us, right? You've heard me say it before if you've been here at church, is really the distinction between a thermometer and a thermostat, right? A thermometer simply reflects the environment or the temperature in which it is placed. If I have a thermometer in this room, after a certain amount of time, the thermometer will adjust itself to to reveal and indicate what the temperature is in this room. A thermostat, on the other hand, impacts and changes the temperature around it, in the room, right? And, And my encouragement to you is as you learn and as you rely fully on Jesus as your strength, as you walk in peace and contentment daily, especially in these times, my prayer for you is that you would become thermostats in the community, that you would bring peace, that you would bring joy even into situations where, again, there are a lot of people who are scared, a lot of people who are uh, really discouraged or confused or stressed, right? And so my question to you is when you come into those conversations or those communications, are you going to be a thermometer and simply allow that environment to to reflect and you're just going to buy into that? Or are you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you, as a saint, going to come into these uh, situations and be more of a thermostat? I'm not talking being preachy or anything like that. I'm just simply saying, are you going to come in in the power of the Holy Spirit with contentment, with peace that comes from knowing who you are in Christ, from knowing all the resources you have, knowing your name is written in the book of life, knowing your Father is in control, coming into these environments and being a spiritual thermostat. Where just your presence, your countenance, your demeanor brings peace. And maybe through that, somebody will ask you why you're so peaceful, why you're so content. And you'll be able to share the love of Jesus. You'll be able to share the gospel with them. And maybe you'll be a part of their story of transformation. Maybe you'll get to celebrate them going from Saul to Paul and having an incredible meeting with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, take the time necessary today to just maybe sit quietly 
and ask Father, what it is that you want me to learn? If you've been nervous and anxious and kind of, uh, you know, riled up, choose to be at peace this afternoon. Maybe get a journal and say, Father, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn about contentment, about peace, so that I can be a spiritual thermostat, so that I can be an ambassador to minister to others in my family and in my community? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Thank you that we, too, can do all things through Christ, through Christ alone, who strengthens us, specifically in the context even of contentment. Contentment in the midst of a swirling world circumstance that seems to change daily. Father, through Christ, we can have peace. We can have contentment. That's my prayer for all of us here uh, listening this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for our time. And we look forward to uh, being together again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for, again for being with us this morning. Uh, just a reminder to check your email, emails later this afternoon for uh, an invitation uh, from Right Now Media. Again, it's our gift to you. We love you and hope that uh, it'll just be an incredible uh, resource for you and your family to enjoy time in God's Word and in time with each other uh, during this time of uh, kind of upheaval and staying home more than maybe we're used to. Um, Take care, God bless you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next Sunday.